I just wanted to encourage you that uh, God knows you. Like, He knows you. Uh, he knows exactly where you're at today. Uh, he knows exactly what you're thinking, maybe questions you have, maybe fears you have, maybe doubts you have, maybe things that you've just been struggling with for a long time. And I just wanted to encourage you, and I encourage this in the first service as well, uh, not only does he know you, he loves you. Um, and so my prayer for all of us, myself included, uh, is that we would just hear from God today. Uh, that God would speak to you in a unique way, in a way that uh, uh, exactly what you need to hear. Uh, we started uh, last uh, Sunday just a very short series called I Believe. Uh, and the whole heart of uh, this I Believe series, this Easter series, was not necessarily just to examine uh, what it is you believe, uh, but really to challenge ourselves with, is what we believe, is it actually true? Uh, is what we believe actually true? Uh, and to push it even a little bit further, is what we believe actually helpful? Uh, is it making a difference in our lives? Is it making a difference in the lives around us? Uh, all of us believe something. Um, and so my challenge last week, and we're going to get into it again this week, uh, is really just to put the question before you, what is it you actually believe? Uh, Socrates, who lived uh, not too long ago, a few thousand years ago, said this, uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, And so today, I would just ask you to examine something. Uh, Specifically, examine what it is you believe. When I'm talking about what you believe, I'm talking about what you believe about God, what you believe about life, what you believe about eternity. Uh, Now, if I were to ask you, what is it you believe about those things? It's safe to say All of us have an answer to that question, or at least ideas of how to answer that question, Uh, because I think these are things we think about a lot. Um, I don't think that there's people who are just kind of floating through life, not really thinking about life, not really thinking about God and who he is and what he's like and my life and how that all plays out and thinking about eternity and what's next. After I think we're thinking about these things a lot. Uh, Chuck Colson, author, apologist, said it very well when he said, I don't think any of us really live unexamined lives. And I would agree with that. I just don't think there's people walking around saying, I don't care about my life. I just don't care about my life and what happens in my life. I think all of us are walking around thinking about life. Um, And so he goes on to say, I think most of us ask the big questions. I think they're wired into us. Most of us just put them off because we distract ourselves from them because we often don't want to face them, but they're out there. And so this morning, I just want to ask you, what is it you really believe? Now, for me, how I answer that question, uh, I filter my answer through what happened 2,000 years ago, how I understand God, how I understand myself, how I understand life. How I understand life, if there's life even after death, how I answer those questions of what I believe is filtered through the Easter narrative, a story that took place 2,000 years ago. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, um, a few years ago, wrote a book called The Reason for God. And he said this If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he rose from the dead, you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? I just love how he says that. If he didn't rise from the dead, then what do you care? If, if he's dead, then what do you care about what he said? He's dead. 
But he goes on to say, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And I think that's a very simple but profound statement of, uh, if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything of what he said? But here's the thing. If he did, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, uh, and history records that Jesus Christ was, was murdered, was crucified on Friday, and if he walked out of the grave on Sunday morning, three days later, if he walked out of that grave after being dead, well, then that's what I would simply call uh, just a game changer. Uh, and it really forces us to ask the question, which I think is the central question, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? Because if it's true, and if it really happened, then you have to answer, or have an answer for the question, what do I do with Jesus? Now, for some people, I realize this question, you're not offended by this question. It's not like you came to church this morning and you were hoping that you didn't hear about Jesus. So I'm guessing that you're not necessarily offended by me asking you, what do you do with the person of Jesus? But I do think for a lot of people, this question of what do I do with Jesus is more like a Star Trek question. And what I mean by Star Trek is, if someone who is a Trekkie fan, and there are some here in this church, so I will tread carefully, if someone asked me uh, a question and said, hey, Michael, uh, do you think Spock should be captain? I would be like, I could care less if Spock or Kirk or Picard or Data or Han Solo or Jabba the Hutt or Luke Skywalker, I could care less who is captain. I just don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It's completely an irrelevant question in my life. And so I think when you consider this question, which I'm saying is central, of what do I do with Jesus, you're not offended by that. You're just like, well, that's, that's not relevant to my life. It's a Star Trek question. It's just not, it doesn't connect with me. It's, it's not relevant. So, for those here today that see the question, what do you do with Jesus, as maybe more of a Star Trek question, I just wanted to challenge you with this thought. Uh, and I read a book a, a few years back by Kyle Eidelman uh, called Not a Fan, and he simply said this, what if all of life comes down to this one question? What if there really is a heaven and there really is a hell? And where I spend eternity comes down to this one question. Now, that, same, that may seem completely ridiculous, but if there is some part of you that considers this a minute possibility, then isn't it worth thinking through that question? Isn't it reasonable to think through that question then? If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then let's wrestle this morning with, uh, what do I do uh, with Jesus? Now, here's a no-brainer. We're all going to die, okay? I don't think anyone would argue with me that you're going to experience a physical death at some point in your life. So if we agree to that, okay, if we, that's a good starting point. We all agree that we're going to die at some point. Then wouldn't it be reasonable to at least propose the question, well, what's next? What happens after I die? Is there nothing? Is there blackness? Do I just disappear? Do I cease to exist? Or is there life? 
And if there is life, what does that mean? What does that look like? And how do I, if there is a hell, if there is a heaven, how does, how does this all work? So I think this morning it would be very reasonable for us to at least consider that if Jesus, who died on Friday, was raised back to life on Sunday, then let's at least consider some of the things that he said, because according to Tim Keller, and I would agree, if he's really conquered death, then we have to accept everything he said. And here's some things that Jesus said of himself. He said he was the Savior. He said he was the Messiah. He said he was the Redeemer, the King. Jesus even said he was able to forgive people of their sin. Jesus said he was the only way. The only way that you and I could have relationship with God or peace with God. Jesus actually claimed to be God. Now, if I said any of those things, if I looked at you this morning and said, I'm Savior, I'm Redeemer, I'm Messiah, uh, I can forgive your sins, I'm actually God in flesh, I'm going to guess few of you would probably walk out. Uh, I'm going to guess most of you would probably be like, that dude's nuts. Who is he to make such ridiculous claims of saying these things? But I promise you, if I died today and you heard of my death, but then three, four days later, I came back to life, I promise you, you would consider, well, hang on a minute. Maybe we should listen to what this person has to say. If he really did rise from the dead, and he conquered death and walked out of that grave, then might we consider the things that Jesus said? Because Jesus said he was the one who would give us eternal life. So if we know we're all going to die, what's after death? Jesus said, I'm the one who will give you eternal life. He says this in John chapter 11. I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Like, that's mind-blowing to me that he would make that claim. If you would just believe in me, even though you die, you will live. After death, you will live. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And we're not talking about the physical death. We're talking about a spiritual separation, a death apart from God forever. He goes on, this is later in John's gospel, and it says this, and this is the way to have eternal life. So if you want to know how to have life after death, eternal life, this is what scripture says. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. That's a pretty bold claim. But again, if he conquered death, if he is really in fact alive, then we must wrestle and consider the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did. Again, quoting Tim Keller, he said it very well. If Jesus really has done it, if he truly is risen, it means the story of the world according to the Bible is all true. Jesus really is the Son of God, the true and perfect King. He came to earth to die on the cross for us, and by trusting in what he has done there, we are spared from eternal judgment and ushered into the presence of God for all eternity. This is the story... um, According to the Gospel of Luke, if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 24. And I just want to read a few verses of uh, what some women came across. They saw Jesus die, uh, buried in a tomb, and a few days later, on Sunday morning, they came to care for a dead and decaying body. It says this in uh, Luke 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. 
taking the spices they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, great verse. As they stood there, puzzled. What? What? The stone, there's no body. This is very confusing. Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Verse 5, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, and this is a profound question, why are you looking among the dead for someone, uh, for someone who is alive? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Verse 6, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And then catch this. And he said, and that he would rise again on the third day. What a great question. Why are you looking for someone who is alive in this place of death? Don't you remember that he said this would happen? He said that he would die, and he said that he would rise back again on the third day. This morning, I just, I wanted you to hear someone tell you, and it might not be the first time someone has told you this in your life or even today, but I believe that Jesus Christ is alive. I believe that Jesus Christ is alive. I believe that on the third day, he physically walked out of the tomb. And that right there, that changed everything. And it's changed everything for me in my life. Because if he's dead, who cares? But if he's alive, and I believe that he's alive, then I want to, this morning, walk with you through what does it, what impact might that have on your life if you really believe that he's alive? Because they could have walked into the tomb and be like, hey, welcome. There's his body. It's right there. He's, he's still dead. And they came prepared that he was still dead. So imagine if that's what they heard. He's still dead. I like how Mark Driscoll in uh, his book, Doctrine, said this, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no savior, no salvation, no forgiveness of sin, no hope of resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to yet another good but dead man. Yet another good but dead man, and therefore is of no considerable help to us in this life or at its end. Plainly stated, without the resurrection of Jesus, the few billion people today who worship Jesus as God are gullible. Their hope for a resurrection life after this life is the hope of silly fools who trust in a dead man to give them life. Now that might sound kind of harsh, but he's right. If we look to someone who's dead to give you life, well, that's, that's foolish. That would be foolish to look to someone who's dead to give you something. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, said it very well as he was reflecting on the significance of Sunday morning. And he says this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for sins, just as Scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said. And he was even seen by Peter, then by 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500, 500 of his followers at one time. 
And then verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, meaning he's not alive, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So Paul said it well, if he's dead and you put your faith in a dead person, that's just silly. That is silly. That is a futile exercise to put faith in someone who's dead. But for me, I believe he lives. I believe Jesus Christ is alive. And I wanted to share with you very quickly, here's three things that because Jesus is alive, these are, have, have been true and are making a difference in my life. Number one would be this. Jesus, because he lives, Jesus will meet you where you are and give you what you need so that you will see him and confess, my Lord, my God. Now, I know that's a, a bit of a mouthful, so one more time. Jesus will meet you where you are and give you what you need so that you will see him and confess, my Lord, my God. Now, you don't have to shout it out, but if I say Thomas, how many people are like, doubter? As soon as you hear Thomas, you're like, yeah, that's the dude who totally doubted. Well, when I hear Thomas, I'm like, that's ah, totally me. <laughs> I can connect. I can relate because Jesus had appeared to all of the disciples, but when he appeared, Thomas wasn't there. And in John chapter 20, it says this, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came and they told him, we have seen the Lord. Imagine all of the men that you've been traveling with for roughly three years coming and saying, Thomas, we saw it, man. We're not making this up. He is really alive. And this is Thomas's response. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. That's pretty specific. I mean... I don't know what was going on in his head, but he was like, he's got a hole in his hand, and I want to put my finger through it, because if I get my finger through that, then I've got some evidence, and I'm not going to stop with putting my finger in a hole. I am going to go on and say, I want to, the, the, the wound in his side, I want to see that and touch that as well. I mean, this is a very specific request that Thomas makes of, I want to see the nail wounds and put my finger into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Now, let me ask you, can you relate with that? Can you connect with Thomas? Because I see it's, it's not that he didn't want to believe, but believing in something that he could not see, well, that was a bit of an obstacle. Isn't that understandable? It is a bit of an obstacle to say believe in something that you can't see. And this is where Thomas was battling, where he was struggling. But he put a very specific request out there. Hole in the hand, wound in the side. And my question for you this morning would be, what would it take for you to be filled with faith? What would it take for you to believe? If you don't know, and Jesus is trying to get your heart, get your attention, get, you're going to miss it. The story goes on uh, in John chapter 20. And what's amazing about this back half of this story is if Jesus was dead, then Thomas is out of luck. Unless you want to put your finger in, in the, a dead man's hand. So if he's dead, then Thomas is out of luck. If he's dead, we're out of luck. I could ask you a great question of what would it take for you to really believe. But if he's dead, well, you're out of luck. But if he's alive, if he is really alive, 
well, then I can say with confidence, Jesus is going to meet you in that place where you are to take you to the place where you will say, my Lord, my God. John chapter 20, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. I can only imagine what Thomas was thinking. Oh, my goodness. Probably kind of hanging back in the corner. And then Jesus looks directly at Thomas. And he says this. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. Put your finger here and look at my hand. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Thomas, I know that you asked for this. So Thomas, because I'm alive, I will meet you in that place. Go ahead, Thomas, put your finger in the hole, put your hand in the wound in my side. And then Jesus just looks at Thomas and says, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And you know what Thomas does? He offers up probably one of the most profound confessions of who Jesus is in all of the New Testament. Thomas looks at Jesus and says, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Okay, what's interesting here, many things, but I'll just highlight one. Eight days. Why? What's up with eight? I mean, I could make a case for like three or seven or 40 or 400, but where are we getting eight from? Why eight days? Like Jesus clearly could have just showed up on the spot and said, bam, here I am, Thomas. Put it in the hole, buddy. Touch my side. He could have, but it took eight days. What do you think those eight days were like for Thomas? I can all but promise you Thomas was thinking and wondering and considering. Everyone else is telling me that they've seen Jesus, that he's alive. And I walked with Jesus and I heard Jesus talk and teach and do these amazing miracles. I'm guessing that during those eight days, he was anticipating, he was curious, he was wondering, mulling over everything that he had seen and heard. But why eight days? And again, this is my best speculation here. My best understanding is... I don't think Thomas was ready on the day that he asked. Even if Jesus would have just showed up right then and there. There was something for Thomas, as it were, uh, that even though he said, if I could just see this, I would believe. And what I love about this is right when Jesus knew Thomas was ready, Jesus showed up. He could have done day one, but I I think Jesus, Thomas is not ready to make this confession. And because Jesus is alive, he will show up with you at the right time, at the right place to meet you where you are, your doubts, your hurts, your fears, your anxieties, your hangups, all of the bags that you carry. Jesus will meet you right where you are. Why? Because Jesus wants you to have a confession, not where you're faithless, but you're filled with faith Believing, confessing, Jesus, my God, my Lord, my God. That's the first thing. Because Jesus is alive, he will meet you where you are to lead you to that confession. The second thing I would share with you, because Jesus lives, he's alive, he gives us hope in this life and in the life to come. 
And this to me is a profound transformational truth. Jesus clearly said it here in John 6, 4. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on that last day. If you have ever wondered what God wants for you, what God's will for you is, He wants you to know the Son. Why? So that you will live eternally with God in His presence in paradise in heaven, not apart from Him. Because Jesus is alive, I have the hope that I come across what Jesus said himself. If you look to the Son and you believe in him, you're going to have eternal life. And when you die, your life will be raised back up. 1 Corinthians, Paul says it. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection of the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies, everyone dies. Because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Isn't that amazing? If you but believe. Your hope is that you have life and life eternal, life with God, not apart from God. See, my hope in this world is not in what I get, what I can attain. My hope is not in any power or prestige or pleasure. And by the way, I've put my hope in those things and sorely disappointed. And God loved me enough to allow me to taste the emptiness of everything that I was trying to put my hope in. Maybe I'll find life here. Maybe this will give me life. Never worked until I come across Jesus who is alive and says, if you but believe, I will give you life. And what I love about uh, because Jesus is alive, I don't have to be afraid of death. And that might I don't know, it sounds strange, but I'm not afraid to die. Why? Because Jesus conquered death, and I know that in death I will have life eternal with him. Great question in 1 Corinthians says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You got nothing on me, death. Why? Well, because Jesus conquered you, and I believe in Jesus, therefore I have life. What a great question. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The third thing that I will share with you, and uh, we'll finish with this. Because Jesus lives, because he's alive, Jesus will give you the life you were created to live. Rick Warren, uh, years back, wrote a a book, uh, more of a devotional called The Purpose Driven Life. And on page one of this purpose-driven life, uh, this devotional uh, said something very wise and insightful. It's not about you. (laughs) It's not about you. And as I consider the fact that if Jesus is alive, it's not about me. But if he's dead, then I will do the best that I possibly can to make my life about me because what else am I going to do? Now, it would be pretty arrogant, and I've never met someone who's actually had the audacity to say, yeah, the world revolves around me. I am the center of the universe, as it were. I've never met someone who would go as far to say that, but when I consider my life at one point, man, I certainly lived like everything was about me. Everything was for me. Selfish and self-centered, and it was a miserable existence. But because Jesus is alive... He gives me, he gives you the life you were created to live. 
Uh, I encourage you to write this verse down because it's incredibly challenging and inspiring and helpful in Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God lives in Christ in human body. Verse 10, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. Did you catch that? You're complete. You are complete. How many times I meet men and women who are looking to be complete outside of life with Jesus? They look to relationships. They look to pleasure. They look to degrees. They look to money. They look to prestige to find that sense of completeness. But yet, it doesn't work. Why? Because all of those things are, are, are dead. They're not living. But Jesus says, if you have union with me, relationship with me, you're complete. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus, because he's alive, come to me and I will make you complete. The brokenness, the shatteredness, the fractured life in Christ, in knowing Christ, you are made complete. Jesus made very clear that if you want to really find life, and I just, I hope you hear this, if you really want to find life, you're going to lose your life. This is the paradox of Jesus. If you really want to find life, you're going to lose life. You will lose your life. He said it very well in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. And listen to what Jesus says. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you try to hang on to your life and search for life in this and, and that and over here and this person, and you're, if you try to hang on to it, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to save it. Life, Jesus said, is in me. And because Jesus is alive, he can say, I will give you the life that you were created to live. Those were three things I wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, because he's alive, and I believe he is alive, he's going to meet me, and he has. And I trust that he is going to meet you exactly where you are when you're there to lead you to a point of confession. Jesus, my Lord and my God. And because Jesus is alive, he's the one who's going to give you hope in this life and in the life to come. And because Jesus is alive, he is going to give you the life that God created you to live. Now, I wanted to share uh, a story, and it's a story that happened about 22 years ago, uh, and I was about 19, um, 20 years old at the time. I had been dating, who now happens to be my wife, uh, Kyla, and we had been uh, spending time dating for about a year, and uh, uh, we drove down and we're having dinner with her parents. And uh, just in mid-sentence, we're just sitting there at uh, like an Applebee's type of a thing. And he said, Michael, I would like to know what your intentions are with my daughter. And I was like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Like, we're just having appetizers, man. Chill out. Like, (laughs) what? I would like to know what your intentions are with my daughter. And I felt like the biggest idiot because I had no idea what to say. And I just fumbled through, I don't even know what I said. I don't know if you've ever heard of a DTR, but a DTR stands for define the relationship. And as 
I sat at that table, face just blush red, sweating, feeling like the biggest idiot on the planet, and Kyla looking at me like, yeah, I'd like to know, what are your intentions? (laughs) I was forced to define the relationship, and I couldn't. And it took me three years. And I remember calling him up and saying, hey, I'd like to, to meet again. And I said, hey, three years ago, you asked me a question, and I didn't give you any answer. And I wanted to give you an answer now. You asked me three years ago what my intentions were with your daughter. And I apologize that it's taken me three years, but here is my answer. I believe today, uh, on this Easter Sunday, God wants to have a DTR with you. Let's define the relationship. Let's define the relationship that you have, because if he's alive and Jesus is really risen from the dead, then let's define the relationship of what are you going to do with Jesus. The picture I had in my head is God sitting across a table from you saying, what are you doing with my son? Because I sent my son to give you life, eternal. I sent my son to meet you where you are. I sent my son to give you hope. What are you doing with my son. Can you imagine if I looked at Kyla's dad and I said, well, Mr. Ginnon, that's a phenomenal question. Uh, I think very highly of your daughter. She's a very beautiful, intelligent, creative, and I just respect her very much. I'm actually a really big fan of hers. I think he probably would have slapped me, but I think he would have looked at me and said, you're a fan of my daughter? Do you really think I care if you're a fan of my daughter? I wanna, are you going to love her? Are you going to care for her? Are you going to sacrifice? Are you just going to be another idiot punk who's selfish? And I just wonder how many of us here today would look to God and say, you want to define the relationship? I am a fan of Jesus. I think he's great. I think he's great. I love what he did. I love what he said. I am absolutely a fan of Jesus. And my challenge, my encouragement to all of us this morning would simply, Jesus did not come and die and resurrect back to life to begin a community of fans. Jesus did what he did so that we would follow him. So that we would follow him. Uh, this morning, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, we've got a new addition to our sanctuary, affectionately now called the Get Drenched Tub. And uh, I wanted to encourage you, because we're defining the relationship. And I think for many, as you think about your relationship with God, it's personal and it's private. And I wanted to challenge you to rethink that. There is a personal aspect to your relationship. You have to make a decision of what are you going to do with Jesus. Thomas saw Jesus and said, you are my Lord and my God. He made a personal confession. But as we see again and again and again in the story of Scripture, it's not a personal private thing, it's a personal public thing. And what I wanted to encourage you this morning, if you're here today and you're a fan of Jesus, in all humility, I wanted to ask you to repent of that 
so that you would be a follower of Jesus. Because he loves you and knows you and made a way for you to know him. Not so that you could be his fan, but that you would be a follower. And if you're here today on Easter Sunday and you've never made the decision of what to do with Jesus, I wanted to invite you. Today's the day to say, you know what? I'm going to be a follower. I'm sick of this fandom thing. Because if you're a fan, usually fans are fair weather. When Jesus, Team Jesus, is like scoring points, I'll cheer, I'll scream, I'll sing, I'll serve, I'll give. But when life is down and hard and doesn't make sense, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? I don't want to be a fan. And I don't want you to be a fan. My heart for you is that all of us would be followers of Jesus. And so if you've never made that decision to become a follower of Jesus, today is your day. Similar to Thomas, Jesus my Lord, my God.